and welcome to a new episode of PR360, and I'm your host, Brett Dyster. If you could please subscribe to PR360 on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Amazon Music. Leave a review. It really does help with the ranking. But this week, I have Derek Canole with me, and he is pretty well known in the events, in public relations, media relations, copywriting, press releases, crisis management, internal, external communication, budgeting, which, I mean, for a lot of PR people were like, what, math, that's bad. And cost control, that's another thing. It's like, wait, I have to control my costs? What's this thing? Leadership and mentoring. So we've got he's got a wealth of knowledge. So welcome to the show, Derek. Oh, thanks for having me, Brad. I appreciate it. And my first question as all my guests is, are you a coffee or tea drinker? So I'm more coffee than tea. But uh, interestingly enough, about 10 years ago, I gave up regular coffee, like drinking coffee regularly. And I did that for about seven or eight years, mostly because, you know, like most PR people, I'm very much influenced by the media. And I read an article that said, if you're drinking more than two cups a day, you've lost the benefit. And I, at that point in my life, I think I was doing about a pot a morning. So uh, I ended up cutting it all off. And then I was introduced to what, you know, the everyday breakfast milkshake that is a Frappuccino. And then I'm right back to that uh, wonderful coffee addiction. Well, I mean, nowadays they're just basically saying drinking coffee is good again. So I don't really know which one it is. I drink coffee. (laughs) It's not usually the sugary stuff. It's usually just black with honey because actually honey does help with allergies because of all the pollen. So if you get local, local honey, don't get just regular honey. Just get stuff that's local. You'll help with the pollens and everything will acclimate to your body. That's a tip for all you allergy people. Learn something new yeah. every day. But I gave a very brief rundown of your expertise. Can you give a little bit more or elaborate a little bit more about it? Sure. So uh, I've been a public relations professional for about 21 years. I started after uh, my, uh, I, had a, I had a brief military career where I did three years in the Army, came out, went to college, and actually chose this profession, which is actually becoming more and more common. Back when I started early 2000s, most PR people kind of fell into PR because they were some sort of major that wasn't able to get into business, but they found out they could write. So, hey, I can do that. And my experience has run the gambit. I've worked both sides of the of the aisle. I've been on the agency side. I've also been on the corporate side. And my expertise has been primarily software, video games, and technology. You're almost like me, but in a different way because I fell into podcasting by myself but I do a podcast about video games and this one as well. So we're in somewhere weird trajectory because I do have a degree in PR. So I understand PR in general from a, I guess, college perspective, but college perspective is very outdated all the time. Every time you go to college, you're like, why are you guys like five years behind? Well, it is that way. And, but you know, public relations is one of those fields that's constantly evolving and constantly changing. I mean, it, it used to be all about the stunt. Now it's all about the relationship and all about getting in and getting out in, in a respectful way for your journalist so that your journalist trusts you and wants to work with you and t- ends up tapping you as a resource, which there allows you to get your messaging in front of him easier with fewer changes and your message that you want doesn't really alter much if you do it right. And moving on even to events and trade shows, since they're actually making a comeback, people are actually going, hey, I want to get out. I'm tired of my desk at home. I'm tired of looking at the same wall over and over again. 
But will there be a huge comeback and how will these changes or will there be a lot of bigger changes than normal because of what's happened in the past? So I absolutely love trade shows. I have always been a trade show guy. I actually go to trade shows outside of my industry just on general interest too, because I feel like that's the best place to get that one-on-one personalized attention that you can get, not only with the product, but with the product expert. That being said, you know, the trade shows are hugely important for sales teams, especially on the technology side and the software side. There's nothing, nothing beats a live demo on the wow factor that you can do when you're demonstrating a technology in front of somebody. It helps suspend disbelief and it actually shows as a proof point of what you're doing. And it's kind of like, there's no, there's no smoke and mirrors. It just has that level of trust. That being said, this last year has really altered the way both sales uses trade shows and how public relations use trade shows. In my experience with trade shows, public relations has always been kind of the the tag along. It's been our, you know, we we get to bring in our press to have that face time with our experts, our product experts, and build that relationship one-on-one. But most journalists that at least I've worked with in the past typically don't really enjoy (laughs) the crunch of of a trade show. And I get it because when you've only got two days and you've got to hit 62 different vendors and you've got an hour. It, it never works with schedule wise. Everybody's always a, between five and 15 minutes late, which throws off the next schedule, which throws off the next schedule. And it's a lot of just walking around a lot of bad trade show food, a lot of bad trade show air conditioning. <laughs> and if you end up having to do some, do a trade show someplace where the humidity is pretty rough, like down in uh, Orlando or down in Georgia, you can't even step outside for a breath because you're getting beat to death with a wet towel. The journalists that I've been working with have really enjoyed the, the virtual trade shows that we have shifted to. And my current employer, Epson America, we have had a couple of them this year. We've had one for our business inkjet program and one for our automated robots program. And they both have been highly attended and have had really good lead management for the sales side of it. The public relations side of it, it's almost now like just a tack on because those journalists we've already met with, we've already done NDA calls with them. We've already done one-on-ones with them and the product expert. And so we're able to replicate that trade show feel without, you know, the hustle and bustle, the schedule issues, the running around from vendor to vendor. And of course, that horrible trade show food. I'm sorry, I'm a foodie. I just cannot get over the horrible trade show food. Gotcha. Oh, no, I agree with you. I did. E3, I think four years ago, and you could only get the food at the LA Convention Center. And it really wasn't that great, but it was overpriced. And it's just kind of like I'm buying overpriced food that's mediocre. I'm telling you, there's an opportunity. If any of your listeners are out there that have that food connection, I'm telling you, there is a huge opportunity (laughs) at getting decent food at trade shows. Yes, if you could figure out how to do like a food truck at the LA Convention Center, but I don't know because it's all unionized over there. So you have to yeah. figure out that Anywho. that was black hole, I guess, basically of trying to figure out everything. But I mean, <laughs> you talked about totally. virtual events. And I mean, it's been kind of a cross between some people love it and some people do not like it at all. I mean, probably it does depend on the person hosting it. 
if it's going to be great or not. So we're going to start seeing more of those. We're going to start seeing more of a hybrid approach. Maybe some people can actually go to the live events or the physical events. So you have more of a virtual event. Cause I saw like the Computex one that's been going on this past week, which is a big tech show in Taipei, Taiwan. It was not bad. There were some good ones. There were some bad ones. Intel had a terrible, well, I'm just really picky. So if I see terrible like camera movement and everything, I'm just like, this is just not good. So for that, are we going to, if PR pros are going to have to get better at doing all this virtual events, camera angles, lighting, and all these other fun stuff that they probably never had to do or care about now, or were they going to have to figure that part out more? I see. Absolutely. I think it's going to be, I, I think the preferred method from at least the corporate side of it is going to be hybrid mostly. And from the agency side, the clients are going to be looking at anything they can do for cost reduction. So as you know, if you have to go to a trade show that like even something that's close, like we're in, I'm in Long Beach. And if we do something that's in the Long Beach convention center, I still have to secure lodging, parking. I got to pay for food. I got to have the vent booth space. I've got to have my equipment put in my, my stanchions, my stands, my signage. Then there's the, got to be in the show daily and all that adds up and I haven't even gotten into personnel yet. So it, it all ends up adding up when you can remove 40 to 50% of that cost by not physically being there. It becomes incredibly attractive to the client internally. That's how we're looking at it in our company. So yes, I think public relations professionals are going to have to dust off their photography skills for those who used to run the photo archive. Anybody who used to do the old school photo archive is going to be in high demand right now. You're going to have to also really be good in your execution. As you pointed out, some people like the virtual and some people don't. It's been my, ex my experience that the journalists who don't like the virtual ones, it's not that they don't like the virtual event. They don't like the execution of the virtual event. They end up losing some of that personal one-on-one -on -one time that they get with the, the product specialist or the spokesperson that they have now grown accustomed to getting to in this digital world where they would have a nice one-on-one -on -one call with possibly your CEO or maybe your product manager of X product. Now they're having to share that with not only two or three other journalists, but maybe five or five or 10 sales guys or bars or customers. So it's, it's almost, you do not want to replicate the on the show floor experience virtually. It, it does not translate well. Whereas on the floor, it, it has that a nice, exciting energy to it. It has that cool feel. It has that camaraderie. Online, it's everybody stepping over each other and everybody ends up not having a positive experience in their virtual show. It, yeah. I mean, it's, it's true. I mean, the execution of it is always what you're supposed to be doing. And it, I mean, going back to Computex, I saw the Intel keynote and I was just bored to tears. Like the people just didn't feel lively because it's not, there's no one there. So, I mean, there's a little bit of like charisma and acting that you have to teach almost your speakers be like, look, I know no one's here, but pretend there's a bunch of people here. Pretend you're going to get stuff. So, I mean, how do PR pros manage that? I guess uh, speech writing or speeches tailed to virtual hosting? It's a great question. And I think part of the answer to that is we, again, have to look back to our past. 
I know that everything's in the future and everybody wants to be forward looking, but there's things we learned from the past. And, you know, in the 80s and 90s, when we were doing public relations, television was our big medium. That was the medium you wanted to get on. That was where it is. Oddly enough, the virtual trade show, everything that you learn from media training on doing broadcast translates 100% into what you're doing in a virtual trade show. So things that, like you pointed out, it's got to have good lighting. You have to have good blocking. You have to literally think about how your set's going to be and how your expert's going to move. If he's going to move, is he going to be covering up messaging that is important to your product? If so, you need to change your layout. Uh, practice, practice, practice. You can't do these on the fly like you can on the showroom floor. You literally need to have two or three rehearsals before you get up in front of your first journalist because that's when you're going to have your program crash, or that's when you're going to have your jam that's happening in your particular product, or it won't turn on, or it'll give you an error code. You want to get all that worked out so that it almost seems like a video. It almost feels like it was pre-recorded and this guy just walked through. That's key to having that really good one-on-one -on -one experience with your media. And it, strangely enough, translates over for the sales teams as well. If the VAR and the sales teams are entertained by it, they're going to have more questions. They're going to be more interactive, which is going to be greater data for you and building your, your client list. Mm -hmm. I mean, even that with new technology, for example, multi-cameras, because obviously a lot of these are going to have multi-cameras. You have the Blackmagic ATM ISO Pro, which basically is a little block with four now it's eight so there's extreme now so there's one with eight different ones so you're gonna have to train yourself or find somebody to figure out how to do all those transitions make sure that they understand how to use these tools because with virtual events becomes understanding the tools and also training with the tools at the same time so either pr pro is gonna have to figure that out or they're gonna have to get a freelancer to do that Instead. I think the smartest thing you can do, at least in the short term, is to get a freelancer and basically take copious notes while you're watching it. I also would advise people to not go overboard. Don't do three, four, five camera transitions. Maybe do two, especially just to help create some sort of environment of movement and action. But you don't want to overdo it because, again, you got to remember, if you're doing this right, you're only doing it for max 15, 20 minutes. If you're going past 15, 20 minutes, you've lost your audience and you need to go back and tighten your, your talk track. Oh yeah, I agree. I mean, doing four should probably be the max. Cause I mean, if you do eight, that's a, a lot of weird camera angles for eight. Yeah. We're not shooting a Michael Bay movie. Again, the end of the day, you want to be able to give a clear, concise experience that focuses on your messaging, be it brand of your company, be it the speeds and feeds of your products being the competitive advantage of your software, that needs to come out. And if it doesn't come out, it's a wasted opportunity. Gotcha. And even speaking more about safety, because everybody's on the mind of safety, how are PR pros going to actually message this effectively? Because you're not always worried about getting people here, but it's now going to be their safety and making sure that everything's all the boxes are checked for the people very concerned about COVID and contracting COVID and all this stuff. How is that messaging going to play into physical events coming back? Well, I almost feel like that's not going to be up to the agency, nor is that going to be up to the client or the business. 
I think that messaging is really going to come down to the event space, what the event space has done to keep its patrons safe. And frankly, you're still not going to get everybody. There's still going to be outliers that are like, I don't care unless I've got my plastic bubble that I can walk around in. I'm not going to do this. And that's fine. But again, that's why I feel like the hybrid could be or is going to be something that sticks around for quite some time, at least for the media side of it. Not to mention the media side of it. They, they've been doing more with less for the last 10 years. And let's be frank, there's most journalists on the, on the technology side are no longer specialists. Gone are the days when you've got a guy who only focuses on projection or only focuses on high-def stereos. Now it's, I do everything that's in the home. So that's a lot of product. Or on software side, they used to have the security only expert. Well, now that guy's doing everything. He's doing security, he's doing VPN, he's doing video editing software, he's doing everything. So if you can maximize their time in a way that makes them comfortable, that's that's a win-win for everybody. You know, and again, that's why I feel like the hybrid is going to be a thing. More and more journalists are going to be like, look, I just don't want to leave. I've got too much to do. My work-life balance is already really skewed and having to go out of town for four days to physically see something that I could do over the internet is not appealing. And do you think for crisis calm in events, there's going to be a shift to add maybe pandemics or viruses to eventually be a part of it just in case type of a thing because i feel like crisis is like okay what has happened in the past how can we at least have a messaging around it because i mean viruses you can't really do much they happen and there's not much you can actually prevent it's a really interesting question because typically when when people think about crisis communications they're thinking about an issue that their product caught not something that happened in the greater world. I I don't know that you would want to have too much in the way of crisis communications around something like the pandemic, but I think it's very, very key to have crisis communications around things that the pandemic has affected. For example, supply chain. Everybody's having issues on the commercial and the consumer side, keeping things in stock. So it's very important to me that people should treat that like crisis communication. Maybe not admit fault, which is, or, you know, show sympathy for whatever's happening because there's legal implications and all that. But I think it's important that you have open and clear communications with your end users, your buyers, so that they understand, hey, we are doing everything within possible to meet these needs. We don't want to lose our shelf space. We don't want to lose our prime spot on your website. And here's everything that we're doing to keep you supplied with what you need. I think that should be something that's integrated into crisis communications if it isn't already. The other side of it too is that I think empathy is one of those things that is very, very important in this kind of crisis communication. And you, you can see it backfire in certain examples that we've seen online as companies make decisions that business decisions might make sense, but from a moral perspective, maybe it doesn't look as strong, the environment. And you've got to be prepared to either talk to or defend or explain those decisions. And that should also be part of the crisis plan. I mean, which leads me to my next question about rethinking crisis calm since, I mean, for example, I tried to update my or upgrade my computer and it was a pain in the butt just to get some components, like some components you just cannot find. Luckily, I was 
I was lucky enough someone found two of them at the same store, which is unheard of. But even an example of Computex, AMD and Intel all talked about supply chains issues, like you said. So we're going to have to rethink the crisis com to almost put in supply chain issues just in case a pandemic or another pandemic or something else happens. Do you think that's going to actually have to play a part? Because I can tell you most gamers and people are content creators are very upset. They cannot buy their parts unless it's five times the amount on eBay. Yeah. And no, I absolutely agree that the supply chain needs to be part of your crisis communication plan these days. Looking back, that's not something we've ever really had an issue with in, in this country as far as we are definitely on demand. If we want something, we go get it. And the customer base, typically, if they can't find it at the first store they go to, they're not going to that store. They're going to another store of a different brand to find it. So it has implications and, and ripple effects that can go through your customer base that aren't positive. And again, that's how you lose things like shelf space. If you can't hold the shelf space, you're going to lose it. They're not going to have an open spot there. They're filling it with something. And if it's not your product, it's probably your competitor. So it's very important to have that supply chain crisis messaging deeply ingrained in, not from your CEO down. So I've seen several different tacks where the CEOs of companies have sent out letters versus the sales teams. And I always say that it's probably best to have the person who has the closest relationship with their customers sending that stuff up. You know, that stuff's not meant to be like, look at us, we're doing this great thing to help you. It should be more along the lines of, hey, we're in this together. We're doing, we're going to do everything we can to take care of you the best way we possibly can. Um, We've had to do, at least in my position, we've had to do a lot of writing on our heels really on the fast because again nobody had ever thought that supply chain would be an issue it's true i mean 2020 2021 i call 2021 the year of shortages because it just cannot find a lot of stuff sometimes yeah i mean tech started it off for whatever reason it's consumer tech it was like you couldn't find anything and if a consumer needs something they'll take a lesser product if they can get it i as a consumer did the exact same thing when i needed a webcam i found myself working at home with no webcam and went, holy, how am I, I going to work that out? And had to buy actually two because the first one was so low quality that it ended up dying in like, I think, uh, two or three weeks. And I was happy to have it even when it came. So again, you know, so supply chain is it is a huge deal right now. It, it, it's, it's always been in the background, but never we, we never saw the exposed issues with supply chain until this time. How will the year of the pivot, which is 2020, that's what every PR people are calling it, the pivot year, how will that change the way we host events, create crisis, create messaging? Because it feels like we have to be like, this is a tentative message, but I don't know if this is going to be the official message two months or even a month down the road. Is there going to be something like that that makes it go, okay, this is tentative, Yeah, but... I mean, it may change. You know what? I think the key is just to be adaptive and to not tie yourself into any unbreakable language, so to speak. I mean, people who've been on the product and the software side have been dealing this for years. We know how to play that game of, hey, it's coming out in September and then it's actually going to be product shift to to spring next year. So we're, we're usually pretty good about that. And again, I don't know that at least on the media side, they're used to it. I don't know that that's a huge issue on the end of it. I think the key on 
The pivot, though, is going to be the hybrid, the offering options. And the technology that we have today actually allows us to have a more personal relationship with our media than we've ever had. We can now literally call them up, see them, talk to them, have a quick conversation and read their body language and help them out on that side, which is, again, back in the day, you could only do that on the trade show floor. You couldn't do that you know, over the phone or through text or through an email or any of that. And it ends up being a really positive boom because I, I personally spend a lot more time in front of my journalists now. And because of the pandemic, it has become more acceptable for us to set an online meeting than it was in the past. I think in the past, it had kind of a weird stigma of, oh, I don't want to stare at a picture in picture. I want to see the person or I just want to talk on the phone or I just want to email my canned interview and get it done. And people are very much more open to the video streaming, more so than I think ever in our careers. Gotcha. And fun question for you. If you could create your own hybrid event, how would you do it for yourself? So this is, I've actually thought about this. I have an event that I would love to do, which is based on the really, really terrible 2009 movie Gamer with Gerard Butler. My company makes a pair of um, head-mounted display glasses that has a built-in camera. And so my thought was, is I would like to have a PR team of three or four people, each stand-ins for said journalist, wearing the glasses, doing the UCIC mentality, and then wearing a tablet that has the, the other side of the picture of it so that you could still kind of have that live demo experience with the product expert, but we could do it out of our, our own facility in our own controlled environment. We're still working on some of the logistics of it and if it's even desirable to do but i really want to do that for some reason i just think the idea of having a human puppet is just a lot of fun you know reach over and touch that how does that feel how does the paper look try to see if it'll smudge because i mean we do a lot of printing things like that i just feel like that would be a lot of fun for people to remote control a person so almost like virtual reality except without the virtual part there's actually somebody exactly like literally like that really really bad gamer movie <laughs> Not to say anything against Gerard Brotler. He was working, he was doing the best with what he had. Yes, I do remember that very interesting gamer movie. Anyways, any final thoughts for listeners? Well, I guess my final thoughts is, is that rethink everything. That's what 2020 and this year really is all about. Don't be beholden to anything that's ritualistic. Don't keep doing the things that you've been doing in the past because that's the way we've always done it. I think this is a very unique time for our industry to really look at how we do our job and how we connect with not only our clients, but with our customers and how we can completely change the way we work in a way that's cost effective and limits risk, but also manages to put out all that messaging we work so hard on right out into the public that where it can be. Gotcha. That's some pretty good advice for our listeners, but thank you, Derek, for joining PR360. Oh, my pleasure. And thank you for joining PR360. As always, please subscribe to PR360 on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Amazon Music. Leave a review. It really does help with the rankings and let us know how we're doing. And join us next week as we talk to another great thought leader in the PR industry. All right, guys, stay safe. Do some hybrid events or figure out some hybrid events for your company and see you next week. Later. <laughs>